Gather your gear. It's time to head out for our road trip across America that will scare your pants off. Along the way, with your hosts, you'll be setting up camp in some of the scariest places they can find. Discover each episode a cryptid, a haunting, and a strange encounter. Climb aboard a cryptid camper if you're brave. Take it away, Tom. Hi, guys. Live from our cryptid camper, I'm Tom here with my good friend, Shay. And we'd like to thank you for joining us for the season finale of season one. I can't believe it's already here. On today's episode, we're going to do something a little different. We have a top nine list of cryptids that we did not get to discuss during season one because of time constraints or whatever, but these are some of our favorites that we came across uh, during our research. So I hope you enjoy. So how are you doing today, Shay? I'm really good. I can't, I can't believe what this is episode. This is 26, 26 episodes. It's a, I, I think I have like season finale jitters. I don't like, yeah. it's, it's it's nice. It's like a sense of accomplishment too. Like it's, it's been so much fun and yeah. Yeah. You know, I can't believe it's already here. Uh, and God, it feels like we just started recording not long ago, but I know it's been a while now. Um, and, uh, yeah, this is, this is crazy. Um, but I'm really excited for this episode cause it's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, these are just some, I, if we had more time, you know, I wish we could have discussed them during the season, but actually I'm kind of glad we get to do it like this in a little list. So, um, before we jump in, what's new, anything or? So I watched Firestarter last night. Oh, how was it? I, so it depends on who you ask actually in my house. I loved it. I thought it was great. And, um, the, uh, the males in my house were not super thrilled. They they took a couple, I guess, uh, liberties. If you if you don't you know, for lack of a better way to put it, they took a couple liberties maybe with the film uh, that were different from not only the first film but also from the book a little bit. And uh, I I actually like some of the liberties because I almost feel like I got like a hint that some of the things that they made happen were going to happen. So I like that, but I liked it a lot. And the little girl that played uh, Charlie is mind blowing, mind blowing. She's amazing. Yeah. So she was actually in it. I think chapter two, she played the little girl at the carnival that Pennywise lures into like the fun house area. Oh, nice. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. I got to check that out. Gotta check that out. Very what about cool. you? Been up to anything good? No, no. I'm trying to think. Um, not much. I did see last night, and I know it's not really horror based or anything, but I got excited when I got home and saw this. On, I believe it's on Amazon Prime. Uh, there is a new season of Kids in the Hall, and really? I 
yes. And I love Kids in the Hall. One of my all-time favorite comedy shows. Uh, yeah, they're much older now. Definitely not kids. They weren't kids then, but they were in their 20s at least when they were doing it. And it's produced by Lauren Michaels, SNL, um, who produced the original. And they, yeah, they did another show, but it was more like a mini series, uh, you know, maybe five, ten years back. I'm not too sure. And it was, uh, which was pretty, pretty damn funny. Um, but it was different format. It was different type. Um, and yeah, I'm super excited for to watch that because uh, I love Kids in the Hall, and I, to me, Brain Candy, their their movie that didn't do very well was so funny so i'm really excited for that but yeah or not i am i live i lead a pretty boring life i think so <laughs> have you had a chance to check out outer range yet i did i'm glad you brought that up so i did start it and very cool so far i think i'm two or three episodes in um yes yes very very cool yep so far all right uh, yeah it's it's taken it's taken a couple of shifts that i honestly wasn't expecting but i'm i'm totally happy about it and it's and josh brolin is freaking awesome he's huge he's like so jacked yeah he's like a big he's dude i don't like i know thanos is big but like i just freaking thanos was big i don't know but he's great he doesn't get it i i don't think he gets the love that he should from people it's like he is a great actor he is yeah, I'm I'm liking that. I can I probably watch some later today. Uh, tonight, actually, some more of that as well. Same. Uh, cool. Well, all right. I'm gonna jump in. So, the first place I'm gonna take we're gonna take you back to Maine, and I am gonna talk about. And I'm 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 fairly sure, certain you are familiar with this one, Shay, but razor shins so yes i am familiar with it and i but it's it's awesome so i can't yeah i can't wait to hear you talk about it yeah i'm excited for it and guys this will be a little bit different because we're just gonna you know briefly talk about these and uh stuff so it'll be a little different formatted than uh the previous episodes but so razor shins is originates from folklore from the loggers of Maine. And it is said to be an immortal humanoid type creature it's said to have, that is said to have sharp protruding shin bones and an insatiable thirst for liquor. New employees of logging companies in Maine are encouraged to leave a jug of Bangor whiskey outside their camp door on the night of a full moon. If razor shins empties the jug by morning he may just use his razor sharp shin bones to fell a tree for the new employee however there are also tales of new employees caught in the woods by razor shins and are scalped or otherwise mutilated by his sharp shin bones after failing to offer this customary tribute. And yeah, essentially it for razor shins. Not a ton there, but I just love it. I just love that one. It's so I love it 
I, I love it because he's kind of a lush. I mean, for disclaimer though, please don't drink and chop wood. Don't yes. drink and do anything you shouldn't do. Drink or do, just don't do both. But yes. Yeah, I don't know. He, he's to drink a whole jug of whiskey and then chop a tree. Like, I'm not getting out of bed if I drink a whole jug of whiskey. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty mm-hmm. impressive. But yeah, I just, I love it. And it's, it's humanoid. Guys, if you have, if you want to do a rendering or a drawing of what you think it might look like, please send it in to us because um, there's a couple images on Google of it. And they're pretty, some are kind of wild and others are just kind of, it's like a dude, just sharp shin bones. But um, yeah. yeah. If you do, please send it in. We'll uh, we'll talk about it and we'll put it up on our site or whatever. So I like it. All right. Well, awesome choice. And um, I guess it's my turn now. So yeah. I'm gonna take you over to Washington State, not DC, and I'm gonna talk about the Gumbaroo. So awesome. So I, I know very little about it. I just kind of came across it as I was researching for this episode. So I'm excited for this. So the description of this thing has me like laughing. It's the funniest thing. It's massive. It's hairless for the most part. I'll get back to that. And it's bear like. So it's just this giant Nikki bear. And it's. <laughs> that's funny enough as is, but it does have some hair. So it's not completely hairless, but where it has its hair will give you an image that I promise you, you will not be able to unsee because I can't, but it's okay. You won't want to unsee it. So um, it has very large, very bushy eyebrows and mustache. Yeah, it does. I love that. That's that's amazing. Yep. Um, so its hide or its skin is also thought to be bulletproof. And so much so that the bullets actually ricochet back off of it and towards whichever direction it came from. Wow. Now, the only way to kill, listen, people, before I tell you how to kill this thing, don't do it. Just don't leave it alone unless if it's if it attacks you fine do what you have to but for the love of all things stop killing cryptids stop trying to kill cryptids don't shoot them don't stab them don't and don't do this but unless you have to but the only way to kill this cryptid is to light it on fire and it literally only has to be uh lightly lit by the fire and it and it explodes Yep. Wow. Now, again, only you can prevent forest fires. Don't do this. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now, it's also said to be ravenously hungry all of the time, just constantly needing to feed, and it can eat a whole horse at a time. So that's, yeah, that's that's the gumbaroo, but it's... The description has me like laughing because I I'm just picturing this big old like porn stash and these like like big old I don't even know it's yeah me so when you said that the mustache and then the eyebrows I got like I don't remember I don't know if you ever were a Conan fan Conan O'Brien and uh, when like he did those things like if they had a child 
and he would take like two celebrities and make it weird. So when I heard the bushy mustache and the bushy eyebrows, I got this mental picture of like uh, at least the face of a child of Tom Selleck and Eugene Levy. So I was dying because I, I pictured the mustache, the big old mustache on Selleck and then the big eyebrows on Eugene Levy and like. I don't know. That's where my mind went immediately. I was and I, I, I was not laughing to myself so hard. So that is that is now what I see. That is it's Tom Selleck and Eugene Levy had a baby. It's it's to Gene Levick, maybe to Gene Levick. <laughs> I like it. Um, no, that's yeah, no, that's I thought my I thought description I found was good, but now that is forever imprinted in my brain. So thank you, actually. That's perfect. <laughs> that was great. No, that's wild. And I, I I love when on these, when there's like, like, like you said, never, don't, don't try to kill these creatures or whatever. But I do love when there's like sort of this folklore to it on how to like, you know, you said, put the light to it. It brought me back to, uh, Central American wind tosser that rips itself apart is the only way to yeah. it. I love when that stuff's in the folklore, even though, like I said, I don't think you should try to kill any of these. The squonk that melts. Remember yeah. that one? That, that was probably the best one. Melts into its tears. And oh, I kept coming across, uh, researching for this episode, I kept coming across squonk too. And I was just like, that that is the best one when it, it comes to yeah. on how to kill it or whatever. So good. I loved it. Good choice. Thank good you. Choice. So the next one, I'm going to take us back to Alaska and talk about the Kalu Pollock. So. Very good. Nice. This is, I like this one just because of the, the folklore behind it, even though the description of it's cool too, but the folklore is what got me. And I almost chose this when we talked about Alaska and in, in the Alaskan episode, but I ended up going with the Adlet because it was just a slightly better story, in my opinion, for the Adlet. But here's the Kalapalik, and I hope I'm saying that right, but uh, I'm pretty sure it's something like that. Um. So the Kalapalik is a creature that comes from Inuit folklore, described as uh, female, human-like, with green skin, long scraggly hair, and very long fingernails. She lives in the sea and hums melodies to entice children to come closer to the water. She is said to wear an amatik, which is a traditional Inuit parka, worn by the women to hold the child against their back in a built-in baby pouch just below the hood. So parents and elders tell children that if they are uh, disobedient or wander too close to the seashore, the Kalopalik will come on shore and put them in her amatic or parka thing and take them back to the sea with her to raise them as her own children and never to be seen by their family again. And that is the Kalapalak. I I love that. I like, um, because you don't stumble across them very often. You don't stumble across like the, the female cryptids and it's, and they're, they're almost always, every, anytime you do stumble across them, they're almost always taking kids. And, but it's, it's, 
almost sweet because it's almost like they're not taking them for a bad reason but they're you know it's but it, that was yeah, i that that is a great cryptid i'm glad you picked that one yeah i like it and i i, I like how it, it's too it just reminds me of like stuff my parents would say when i was a kid so you know these little stories they tell you just so you don't do something bad and it's in the uh, I just love it. And then coming from an Inuit legend, I'm always fascinated by Native Americans and all that. So, yeah, I like that one. I like it. Great choice. Thank you. All right. Well, I I think it's my turn now. So we're going to go to Colorado. And I, so I'm really excited because I did the haunting for Colorado. And Colorado is, is just so rich of really everything you, you it's it's a potluck of just endless things you could talk about and um but i was really excited that you didn't pick this one because i you know i well i guess i wasn't excited that you picked it but i was because what you picked was awesome but now i get to actually talk about it so knowing that we were going to do this this episode i'm super excited i'm going to talk about the tommy knockers nice i'm so glad you picked it because i almost picked it for this episode and then uh i part of me thought you might and then i'm glad we're getting to talk because they're one of my favorites they really are and um it was tough for me not to pick that when we did colorado when we did colorado so i'm excited here we go all right so it's said to be gnome like or maybe similar to a leprechaun and if you've been what listening to the show or you know obviously not watching but if you've been listening to the show since episode one you'll remember when we talked about uh the puck wedgie or i like to call them the wedge um it's it's very similar in description to that so it's i i love that kind of stuff and uh they even have versions of it really all over the world they have them in england and in germany they they're thought of as mountain ghosts or little miners and they stand about two feet tall they're said to be either greenish or tan in color depending on the version you're reading and they wear mining clothes now for the most part it seems like the Tommyknockers seem to like to have fun and they like to be pranksters and be a little mischievous and they like to steal tools and maybe steal lunches of the miners, which I can imagine that would not be fun, but it's funny. Um, and while they're mischievous, they actually are sought after and wanted um, to be in the mines by miners because of one thing that they do. And it's actually said that they will knock or bang on the cave walls to warn miners just before a collapse so they have a chance of getting out. And I, and I love that, and that's so cool. Um, now, in some cases, it's even said that the Tommyknockers can lead the miners to rich bodies of ore. So whatever they're mining, they it can actually show them to way to the way to like a plethora of it. That's now there is one other thing that's maybe not so sweet and a little more than mischievous is that it said non-believers sometimes will meet death or injury through the Tommyknockers. So believe in them. 
Yeah. They're here to help. <laughs> um, that's awesome. Because uh, that's a little bit I didn't know about them that uh, of like the non-believer. I had never heard that, and that's real, really cool. Uh, yeah, I love this one. I I love the fact it, it, it's different in the fact you know the whole knocking to save a person. You know, like you don't get that much with the or at all, to my knowledge, really, with many other. Uh, <laughs> Uh, cryptids and that they're trying to help the human out because usually they're trying to hide from humans because as we've come to learn through this first season a lot of humans first uh reaction or thought is to fire at these creatures um without even knowing what they are what it's about or anything you know and they're just like yeah let's shoot it um so I love I love that aspect of the Tommy Knockers, and I just I just find them so fascinating. And question: Are you a fan of the book or film by Stephen King, Tommy Knockers? So, and it's funny because I, I I tend to go one way or the other, but it's never the same when it's between the books and the movies. And I I feel like I'm actually book with this one over movie. I, what about you? I would think so too. Now, am I wrong in because it's been a while since I saw Tommy and then uh, Tommy Knockers? Was there some sort of feline cat tie-in with them in the movie somehow or something? Were they feline? Yes, they were definitely feline esque. Like not, I don't mean like a straight cat or anything. But no, like, no, no. But, right. but yeah, they were. They were more. Yeah, again, feline than that I I think we would normally picture. Yeah, okay, okay, because like I said, it's been a while, and then I did that I was like, am I conflating two different, mo completely different movies or whatever? But um, oh, if you are, I am too. So we're okay. on the same page. Um, yeah, cause I, I always found that that strange. So, but um, yeah, no, great choice. I love, like I said, they are they are definitely a top ten cryptid for me like definitely maybe even a top five i really like them even though i didn't pick them for mine but they are up there yeah uh, great choice so i'm gonna take you back to maryland and talk about the goat man i don't know why i have a thing for goat man goat cryptids or something i i come to really like them for some reason and i'm not sure why maybe it has to do with pan's labyrinth the whole pan mythology and stuff like that but i don't know i'm i i've become a big fan of goat goat, goat cryptids they're very interesting there's i mean I, I totally get it there's really they're super interesting you, you do definitely have a thing for goat cryptids but it's, <laughs> i totally get it though i mean i'm yeah, I mean, I, I feel like goat cryptids is for you, but like Wendigo might be for me or, you know, so, but yeah, I get it. So, uh, all right. So, uh, Goatman of Maryland, uh, the first sightings date back to 1971 and the Goatman of Maryland roams the back roads in Prince George's, Prince George's County, Maryland. There are two main variations to this legend. The first claims that he is he was a goat herder, and, uh, 
that became a hermit and went insane from isolation. Now he goes after and attacks people. Now he goes after and attacks people, and he will also mutilate their pets. The second variation claims that he was the victim of experiments done by the Agricultural Research Center in Maryland. Due to these experiments, it is it is said that he resembles a satyr or satyr, uh, which is which is a mythical creature that has the body of a human but is goat-like from the waist down. Some have also claimed that the goat man attacked their car with an axe as they drove by his uh, area, territory, you know, where he lives. And that's essentially it for the goat man of Maryland. And I just love it. No, nope, uh, that, was, that was a great choice. I, I yeah, it's super I, interesting. Yeah, I like, um, I, I do like these experiment go wrong type of cryptids too. Like mm -hmm. I really like, as you'll see again later, um, it's it's just a different spin on them and that I've come to really like. I like it. All right. Well, I, I still can't believe this is almost over. Like we only have a couple more and then like, that's that's it for season one. So yeah, crazy. All right. So we're going to sidetrack again now to Arizona and I'm going to talk about the Aswang and I hope I'm saying that right. I think I am. I think um, so. All right, cool. So it is described, and this description is awesome. And this is actually why I picked this one because it's it's just so cool. And especially like as a horror fan, it's it, it's really something that I am so glad is out there. Uh, it's described to be a cross between a werewolf and a vampire, and it has gigantic bat-like wings. So right yes amazing mm -hmm. now it said that during the day that it just lives amongst the people it looks like a person it acts like a person and it just goes along with society and blends in and it transforms at night the diet of this creature is not one that I've I think I've come across yet and it's super chilling and really gross but kind of funny not funny but fun well you know maybe for the cryptid um it it says that they enjoy most eating unborn fetuses which they suck out of the mother's womb depictions show it sucking the baby out of the belly button somehow but i'm not going to give an anatomy lesson but we all know there might be an easier route than through the belly button but you know that's i i digress that's <laughs> come through the, your own images people through the front mom. yeah um and they also like to take and eat small children right out of their bed in the middle of the night what's really cool that they do and it, it said that they leave in the victim's place a doppelganger that they create out of earthly materials like plants and tree bark and whatnot and that this doppelganger would live and function in the victim's place until it falls ill and rapidly dies wow. and, and that is the 
That is the Aswang. Okay, so I am now obsessed with the Aswang, and there mm. needs to be a movie about this. Like this, he needs to be in a movie because that. I mean, that's got everything. That's got everything between the description of two of the most iconic horror creatures in in mm -hmm. that we know of, a vampire and a werewolf. Um, the fact that it, I took notes because I'm so fascinated by this one, that it walks as a human during the day yeah. and transforms at night. Again, that's different to, you know, most cryptids. Um, it's diet, which is crazy. Yeah. And the doppelganger. I love that. That it leaves a doppelganger uh that you know you said dies rapidly, but um yeah, no, that that is I I can't believe we we've never discussed the Aswan before or anything like that. I didn't know much about it. I remember seeing it when we were doing the Arizona episode. Yeah. Um but I must not have read too much about it because that yeah, that's got everything. Uh, that's that's one of my new favorites right there. That, that is amazing. Everything about it, between the folklore, the description, its diet, it's that is that is awesome. I love it. I'm glad you liked it. It it had me. Yeah, it absolutely caught my attention. So I'm glad I got to talk about it. Good choice. All right. Well, I'm gonna take us over to Connecticut and discuss the melon heads so awesome. as i said before I've, I've come to really like ones that are kind of based around experiments and stuff just because it's a little different and uh so the the connecticut melon heads i just want to is uh the folklore is a little different to the ohio melon heads and the michigan melon heads they each kind of have their own take that have some similarities but a lot of differences so in connecticut legend states that the melon heads can be found throughout southwest southwest connecticut especially in fairfield county as well as the towns of trumbull shelton stratford monroe easton and weston melon heads are said to be either human or human-like, with large bulbous heads, facial abnormalities, they're usually pretty short, like under five feet, and have short stubby arms usually. There are two main variations to the legend of the Connecticut melaton heads. The first one is that in the fall of 1960, an asylum for the criminally insane burnt down in Fairfield County. All perished in the fire, aside from approximately 10 to 20 inmates who were, who were unaccounted for. Supposedly, they survived and retreated to the surrounding woods. Unfortunately, most of those that survived had to resort to cannibalism and inbreeding which in turn caused them, uh, especially the cannibalism, which in, uh, turned them, uh, caused them to develop hydrocephalus, which is a buildup of spinal fluid on the brain that creates that bulbous look to their head. 
The second legend states that the Melonheads are descendants of of a colonial colonial era family from the Shelton Trumbull area who were banished for witchcraft. So they too retreated to the woods. And again, unfortunately, they had to resort to cannibalism and inbreeding after the first harsh winter. This cannibalism caused the hydrocephalus, the, the buildup of the fluid on their brain, again, giving them the bulbous head. To this day, it is said that they will prey upon humans that wander into their area or territory. And others have claimed that the melon heads will throw rocks, sticks, branches, and debris as they at their cars as they drive by their territory. And that is the melon heads. So I feel like I have a thing. And I, I feel like it's a thing that has to be said. Now, it might be an unpopular opinion, but it's my opinion. And I'm sure it's not just my opinion. So when it comes to a survival situation, yes, I can 100% wrap my head around having to resort to cannibalism to survive. There is zero situations in which you would ever have to resort to inbreeding to survive. That is not a thing. There's a difference between needing to resort and wanting to resort. That is not the same. One does not, that does not sustain your life force. That does not keep you alive. You might want that or whatever, but it doesn't, it does not keep you alive. So that is not a has to resort to thing. Cannibalism, yes. In breeding, no, that's that's a choice. That's not that's not a necessity. So, but I digress. That's a great point, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is true. You don't need to resort to inbreeding to survive. And, and in this, the research I was doing, it, it was talked about the the can you know the cannibalism somehow creating the hydrocephalus, you know, this buildup in there. But as we know inbreeding resorts to abnormalities in a body mm -hmm. not you know developmental mental you know physical abnormalities so to me especially me especially the the facial abnormalities that it talks about and uh the short stubby arms stuff like that is is more likely from the inbreeding which again never necessary uh <laughs> Uh, and to me would seem like maybe a cause for the bulbous heads, even like possibly even the hydrocephalus, even though it, because the cannibalism, and I know there cannibalism does create problems within the body and stuff like that. We're not meant to eat our own, so, no. you know, but, uh, so, but yeah, I'm glad you brought that up because that there is there there does need to be a distinction. You know, yeah, you might need to resort to cannibalism if you're looking to survive. We we all know uh, the story that they made that movie alive about the soccer mm -hmm. team that crashed in the Andes Mountains and they had to resort to cannibalism. And then I know we both watching Yellow Jackets, which I cannot. Oh, that is so good. And and we didn't see any of the cannibalism yet, but. 
we're pretty sure it's common. So, um, yeah. So I, it's what I wouldn't want to have to resort to cannibalism, but I understand it. And it, you know, but inbreeding, no, I, I'm not doing that. I'm mm -hmm. not doing that. So, cool. Well, that was a topic. <laughs> so I, I, I agree, actually. So, um, all right. So I'm about to talk about my last cryptid for the whole season. This is the last cryptid, and it's really just hitting me now. 26 episodes, my last cryptid. That's insane. Crazy. For this cryptid, I'm going to take us back to my home state. We're going to talk about a cryptid in Massachusetts that I was literally yesterday years old when I learned about, which for me is not super common, especially in Massachusetts, but right. I'm going to talk about the Gloucester Sea Serpent. I've never heard of this. Yeah, me either. I'm and it's And it's funny because it's very much seen that way that not a lot of people know about it it's a very rarely known about cryptid um and it's and it's funny because in um episode two of of this season we did rhode island and i actually did the gloucester ghoul which for a long time i always knew about but for a long time i always thought it was from massachusetts but it's not this one definitely is so the the Gloucester sea serpent rarely makes cryptid lists. It's barely known about, it's barely ever heard about, and it can be seen or has been seen off the coast of Gloucester and Cape Ann. So possibly a reason for it being very unknown is the dates. It's It really is not seen very often, and in a chunk of time that it was seen, fairly often, it was a long time ago. Now its first recorded sighting was in 1638. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Mm -hmm. Now there was a lump of sightings together that happened over a span of a couple years from 1817 to 1819. So again, still centuries ago. ago. Yeah. In the 1800s, it was actually investigated by the Linnaean Society, which best I can find is a paranormal type society. So I don't have a lot of information on that, but that's not why we're here. So now with possibly thousands of sightings and an official investigation report, this is actually surprisingly, although rare, one of the most well-documented cryptids. It's never been debunked. It's never been disproven. You have skeptics, but it's it's it stands firm that this might be a thing. And uh, a brief description is uh, you you can't really find a lot of detail on it, but you can kind of picture. Obviously, it's a serpent, so it's a serpent-like body with bumps or ridges along its back, but it has a stinger on its head, and it's up. And they can be up to twenty feet long. Holy cow! Yep. Now, there is a skeptic's report that does say that they believe this was a narwhal because of the stinger on its head, but that doesn't sound like a narwhal to me. And I love narwhals, so I don't think that's one of them. Yeah, I, I'm obsessed with narwhals, and that doesn't sound like a narwhal to me either. So, yeah. But that is my Gloucester Sea Serpent. I love it. I've never heard of that. And you know, I'm being from the area, you know, I'm not, I don't. I'm not from Mass, but I'm Rhode Island, which is basically yeah. Massachusetts. And 
never heard of that and i'm so glad you picked like oh like the water one like that because we never we we never talked about like a tessie nessie chessie sort of uh water when we've done stuff you know based around the water and i talked about you know i talked about a siren earlier and then i talked about the kalapalik but we never done that yeah yeah the dog man do you remember the dog man episode with the, the the it was a dog and a woman had and he was going to the yes and he was going to the beach and like that was i love that one I yeah that, that one. was the alaska episode um all right well now this is the last one I'm going to talk about for uh, this season. This is crazy. So I'm going to take us back to West Virginia and talk about the veggie man or the vegetable man. The veg. That sounds terrifying. That sounds like the 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 monster that comes at you when you don't eat your broccoli. Yeah, I. Uh, yeah, I was when I was researching this episode. First state I went to was West Virginia, um, and I when I came across this, I was like, "Yeah, I'm, I got to do this one." So there have been very few sightings of the Veggie Man. The most famous happened in Fairmont, West Virginia, in 1968 by Jennings Frederick while he was out on a hunt. The veggie man is said to be over seven feet tall, thin, bipedal, with a semi-human shape. It appears to be partially plant-based. It possesses large ears with striking eyes that oscillate in color from red to yellow and back to red very rapidly. That I almost picture the character from Roger Rabbit, the uh, the Doom, whatever. Dr. Doom, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. So it is said to have thin arms that give the impression of reeds by a riverbank. On the ends of its long, slender fingers, it has suction cups, and then there are like thorns, like from a plant or something protruding through the suction cups hmm. and it is said to communicate telepathically so according to jennings frederick as he was hunting he heard a strange sound that sounded like a record player running faster than it should a sort of high-pitched jabbering is how he described it as he tracked the sound he came face to face with the creature he said it looked weakened and sickly, and then it began to communicate with him telepathically, saying, and this is his verbatim, you need not fear me. I wish to communicate. I come as a friend. We know of you all. I come in peace. I wish medical assistance. I need your help. Not, uh, right after he says this, the creature lunges at him and wraps Frederick in his strong arms, like almost in like a beer hug. Un unable to break its grasp, the uh, unable to break its grasp, the creature then pierced his skin with the thorns on the end of its long fingers. 
Frederick then became enthralled by the the flashing oscillation of the creature's eyes. He just he was like transfixed. He could not look away. And while he's sort of transfixed and these thorns are in his skin, um, he realizes that the creature is actually draining some of his blood through these thorns. But then all of a sudden, the creature just lets him go, races up a hill, never to be seen again. At least by Frederick. At least, um, and that is the vegetable man. That that's one of those cryptids that really like the descriptions that you're able to find and everything really they paint it in your head like I can see it like I have that image now that was that was great good job that was yeah that was the selling point was the description like like being plant based and then like the suction cups and then the thorns it, it does it, it does just give a very a very vivid um sort of picture and never heard of it honestly well i was doing research for this i was like yeah that's one of my new favorites i mean i say that about all of them every time i read about a new one it's one of my new favorites but <laughs> i love yeah i i like that one a lot so very cool very cool did you hear that hear what that what was that wait did you did you see that is that a... uh, i think it is it's a driving hmm i don't know about you but my legs could use a stretch wait are you suggesting I sure am. Nice. I'm here for it. All right, folks. <laughs> we're corny, we're cheesy, but you're still here, so you love us. Um, mm -hmm. We want to thank you, as always, for joining us and listening to our full season, our full first season of Scare Your Pants Off, the American Road Trip season. And we really hope that you've enjoyed the first leg of our journey and we hope you join us next week for season two when we kick off our scare your pants off driving of terror bum, bum, bum. Right? i can't wait well until then guys happy camping thanks guys bye as always, our hosts would like to thank you for joining. If you enjoyed the program, please be sure to like, follow, or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts from. Find us on Instagram at ScareYourPantsOffPod, no spaces, or on Twitter, ScareYourPantsOffPodcast. Or send us an email with questions, comments, and fan art to scare your pants off nine at Gmail. See you next time.